He sent forth his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. Psalm 107 verse 20. The message you're about to hear is a straightforward, down-to-earth and insightful teaching by Adelaide Heward Mills. Adelaide serves under her husband, Bishop Dag Heward Mills, as a pastor at the Lighthouse Chapel International. Adelaide is a handmaiden of God and is privileged to have been used by God to pastor and to speak the word of God, both nationally and internationally, to all ages and gender. She has a plethora of messages on many issues, experiences, and situations of life from God's perspective. Get ready to be transformed as you listen to this message by God's anointed handmaiden, Adelaide Heward Mills. The Word of God says that all scripture was given by inspiration of God. It was holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. And so this morning, it is this word that God has decided to choose this vessel to minister that word unto us. This morning, you will be blessed. I feel the anointing in the air already. And I know that powerful things are about to happen. Those who are broken will be set free. Those who are depressed will live here with joy in their hearts. You are here, you are sick, the Lord is here to heal you. You are here, your marriage is not working. After today, you will see a positive change in your marriage. You are here, you've been out of job for a long time. After today, I see the Lord giving you a job. You are here, you haven't smiled in a long time. You have been down. You have been bitter. The devil has been having you for lunch. Today is his last stop. No more. Breakthrough is coming your way today. If you believe with me, I want you to stand to your feet. And let's welcome Lady Pastor Adelaide Heward Mills to the pulpit. Shall we please share a word of prayer? Father, thank you that it's the year of Jubilee. Yes, yes, For your word said that I will proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord, which is the year of Jubilee. Lord, you said that the spirit of the Lord was upon you, for God anointed you. I pray that this morning you will anoint this vessel. I pray, O oh God, that the brokenhearted will be healed. I pray that captives will be set free. I pray that the poor will have the good news preached to them. I pray, I pray that the blind will recover their sight. And I pray that the acceptable year of the Lord, the year of Jubilee, shall be proclaimed in this place. I pray, O oh God, and I welcome the presence of the sweet Holy Spirit. You are the only one who knows each and every one of us by name. You are the only one who knows where we are at this morning. Sweet Holy Spirit, I pray that you will brood over this place. I pray that you will touch every life and change our lives, oh God, in accordance with your will and your purpose. I pray for utterance. I pray for every high thing that exalts itself above the knowledge of God to be obeyed. 
raised. I pull down imaginations. I pull down things that are not of you. I pull down satanic opposition to the word of God. And I cause the word of God to have free course. In the name of Jesus, I thank you, O God, that salvation shall come to your people in many, many ways. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Fill this vessel once again. I can sense your presence here. Holy Spirit, fill us like never before. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Please take your seats. Well, all too soon, <laughs> our daughter convention has come to an end, or it's coming to an end soon. Amen. But we thank God because the Lord has been gracious to us. And um, the Lord has helped us. Amen. It's been a joy to be here. It has not been burdensome at all. It has been a delight. Amen. Amen. And um, I think that God has done more than we will know. Amen. Because he's a miracle-working God. And um, I want to congratulate the Daughters Choir. You are so wonderful. You've done your best. We've been ministered to. God bless you. And for the ladies who came to dance yesterday with all the, you know, special effects, you know, it wasn't easy. God bless you all. For those of you who have fed us, those of you who helped us register, those behind the scenes, those who have cried to God for this program, may Jehovah who sees in secret reward you adequately. For those of you who gave us a push in the book launch, you have no idea how fine, how necessary we needed that push. And may God bless you. May he bless your bank account and your purse. May he cause you to have sufficiency in all things so that you will abound in every good work. We want to thank the sons for not being intimidated. We want to thank the sons for standing with us. Hallelujah. We want to thank the sons for being a part of what God is doing. What would we have done without you? God bless you. Amen. And for all of you who have been a part of this convention, your presence alone has been an encouragement. God bless you. And um, I hope that at some point we'll be able to show a, a short clip on the primary school project in Ghana. And so we'll do that after the preaching. Amen. But Jesus is alive and well, and a lot of things have been happening in Ghana. Um, you know, we have an orphanage in Ebri, which is in the eastern region of Ghana. And um, it's not even a year since we started operating. But we started with one child, and today we have 18 children. And um, Jesus said, I was a stranger, and you took me in. And I tell you, every single child in that place is a stranger to us. It's not somebody we knew. We don't know their parents. We don't know their genealogy. We don't know their pedigree. But Jesus came for people like that. He said, I was a stranger somewhere, and you took me in. And because of that, enter into my rest. Amen. So the work of God is so varied and so vast. And I thank God for the privilege of ministering to children not our own and children whom we don't know. 
Now, most of our children also have come from the north of Ghana. And that is because there's a, a superstitious belief in the north that if your mother is giving birth to you and she passes away, you are a bad omen child, okay? So your mother, your father may also not want you because nobody wants a bad omen. And so some of them were left to die. There was a little baby called Baby Ruth, very tiny. And everybody said she wouldn't make it. She wouldn't survive because she had been left out there. But she's very alive, strong, kicking, you know? And uh, one English lady who had seen her when she was being brought to the orphanage had said in her heart that the baby wouldn't survive. So last year in November, she followed up to the orphanage to see what had become of the baby. And when she saw her alive, she said, this is indeed a miracle. Some of them were thrown out, and so I believe that maggots and infection and all that attacked their ear. So we have a little sweet baby boy, not baby, a child, five years, called John. He was losing his hearing because, you know, the infection was being treated and treated never went. And so he was losing his hearing in both ears. But by the grace of God, we've managed to have surgery on one ear. And the doctor, the doctor wants a bit of some rest for him, then he will do the other ear. But all these things I didn't anticipate because I've not, had an I've not started an orphanage before. And the orphanage belongs to the church. It does not form part of my estate when I pass on <laughs> from this life. Amen. Neither does the primary school belong to me. Because, you know, sometimes when people come and they are filling forms, they say, so the primary school, are you the proprietress? I said, no. I am just a directress. It is registered in the name of a church. It is a charity. It has nothing to do with me. But I know that my father who sees in secret will reward me openly. Amen. And um, some of these things have been unforeseen. Because as I'm taking the children in, I don't know that I have to pay 5 million CDs, which is about $500 for this year. And then... 500 for here too. 500 new Ghana CDs, okay? And, um, you know, we run a snack bar in a restaurant to be able to run the orphanage. Because if I, I just depend on donations, it may come sometimes, it may not come sometimes. But the children have to eat every day. They have to take malaria tablets. They have to sleep in mosquito nets. I know there's so many things. I thought, you know, you just have an orphanage and you just look after them. But I hadn't thought of... The nitty-gritty, soap every day, yeah. pillow to sleep on, yeah. teaspoon, yeah. everything depends on you. I never knew that till the orphanage really took off. And then education. I realized that even though they were in a very beautiful place, there was no preschool. And we had a preschool, but it's in Accra. But then God being so good, we transferred a teacher on secondment to the orphanage. And today there's a preschool in the orphanage. And we give God glory for that. Somebody comes, kneecap infection. She goes into the surgery, she comes back. And they say, there are more complications. More. So I have my money that I've put aside for food, drugs, school fees. Then other unforeseen things are coming in. But God always looks after the fatherless. I have come to see, like the widow, you know, who told Elijah that my son and I were just going to eat it and die. You think that that's the last day. But before the day is out, 
God somehow will send you somebody. Because I needed a vehicle to transport these children. I'm not preaching yet. To transport these children to school because some of them are nine years old and all that. And they came from another orphanage that had been closed down because of bad conditions. So now my, our policy is zero to seven years. And the social welfare comes and says, oh, but we have 12 children who are within, outside your age range. But you are a church orphanage. Don't you have a heart? <laughs> Will you not accept them? The very social welfare group. So we took them under emergency, whatever. After that, six were taken and six were left. Now nine years old, they cannot even write the alphabet. So we have to take them to fast track. You know, alphabets, writing, and all that. And then take them to a primary school nearby. Because we want them to be a bit more grounded before they can go to our primary school. And then there's a highway. So now another need is to transport them. And then there's no electricity. So they can't store food. They can't learn. They can't store. Then I needed a generator. So many things. When I look at it, I say, hey, God, how can I? You know? So just last week, I said, God. You say that you take care of the, of the fatherless. And the church itself is involved in so many things. Hospital, it's not now that I'm also going to add my problems. In fact, they will not even accept it. You know, so I said, God, you say that you are a father of the fatherless. I pray that you help me. Because if I have to do what is your will, you have to back me. Otherwise, I don't know how. And then just before I came, one of the assistants in the office said to me, there was a convention, so I was very busy. So I have a message for you. A lawyer in our church called that an American client he had worked for says that he wants to ship a car to the orphanage. I said, where does American know me for? He said, nowhere. He just asked him, do you know anybody who deals with orphans who will need a car that I want to ship to? And said, yes, I know Mrs. Seward Mills. You know, so I said, wow, God has surprised me. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So God will do his work with or without you. That's right. Amen. So we are privileged sometimes to be a part of what God does. He will take care of the fatherless. He will take care of the orphans. He will take care of other things that need to be taken care of. So that's just news from Ghana. Amen. <laughs> Amen. But this morning, I want to share with you about Daughter Your Seed. Daughter Your Seed. Genesis chapter 3. It's a chapter in the Daughter You Can Make It book, so I will encourage you to. Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. To 16. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise you on the head, and you shall bruise him on the heel. God was talking to the serpent. To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire shall be for your husband, 
and he shall rule over you. Say mercy. You see, when Eve gave Adam the apple, it is a very pathetic statement. The Bible says she gave him and he did eat, asking no questions. How can you eat and ask no questions, Adam, when God gave you the law and the rule that you can eat everything but of this tree thou shalt not eat? And then when Eve goes to bring the apple, you know very well that this is fruit of the tree God said you should not eat. But because it's in the hands of Eve, you eat it. And when you eat it, the whole world falls. Creation falls. And when God came to the garden, he asked Eve, what is this that thou hast done? Because it was not just the act, but it was the implications of what she had done. I believe that when God asked Eve, what is this thou hast done? He saw cancer. He saw disease, he saw war, he saw famine, he saw poverty, he saw broken relationships, he saw betrayal, he saw so many nasty things. What is this that thou hast done? And Eve did not have a scud missile. She didn't have a bazooka. It was just an apple. But the apple in her hand made all the difference. And I want to encourage every daughter here that God has blessed us with what you call influence. You know, we didn't carry the gates of Gaza like Samson. We didn't slay a thousand and thousands of Philistines, but only our lap. The lap of Delilah alone could bring a giant to his knees. The Bible says that by means of a warish woman, a man, not a baby, not a child, a man is brought to a piece of bread, not a loaf, not a slice, but a piece. By means of just a whorish woman. And you wonder how Samson was thinking. Because the first time you tell Delilah a lie and the Philistines come upon you and then you, you shake yourself and so you say, ah, this woman, when I confide in her, she leaks it out, and the people come upon me. Yeah. But, you know, a man in the hands of a woman does not think. Amen. The lap alone. So, ladies, there may be some lessons we can learn from Delilah. When you become that lap to your husband, perhaps when he comes home, he will be okay. Amen. Amen. So even though Delilah was an evil woman, maybe there are some lessons we can learn from her. And then she will weep. And the Bible says that she pressed something with her words. She will weep. Weeping is a sign of weakness. But it is also powerful. And in the hands of an evil woman, it becomes an evil too. So she went, she told Samson, you don't love me. If you loved me, you would have told me. And you, Samson, the Bible says, flee youthful lust. You are now negotiating, playing around, caressing, youthful lust, things that you should flee. Fleeing means flying and running between that. He didn't say stand there and negotiate. Stand there and say because God knew. 
the power in the hands of a woman. Hallelujah. Go and ask Jezebel. She was never king. And she didn't need to be king. When she saw Ahab, she said, but why are you sad? Why is your countenance falling? Ahab said, I went to Naboth. And he said, he won't give me his vineyard. He said, oh, cool. Is that a problem? It's not a problem. You are a king and, you know, you should be seen as spiritual. So she calls two witnesses. She even proclaims her fasts. And says that the two witnesses, you know, it is Jewish law that you cannot receive something against an elder except by two or three. So, but concoct the story. Come, let's set up um, a court and all that. Let's go through the right channels. And the neighbors will be found guilty. Yeah. And then the letters will be signed. And when she got the letters written and all that, she used the king's seal. Not her seal, because her seal is not powerful. But she had access to the king's seal. That's it. Access. Mm. Yeah. Therein lies the power of a woman. Yeah. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And Mary, the mother of Jesus, mm. if it were not for her, you and I would not be here. Yeah. When the angel came, after she asked, I don't know a man, how will it be? The angel said, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and overshadow you. Behold, I'm the handmaid of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And Joseph, God has to speak to him in a dream because he cannot receive such things easily. He's too logical and methodical. But Mary is able to tap into the things of the spirit. So he makes up his mind, you know, I'm going to quietly put her away. And then the angel comes and says, look, in a dream, that Joseph, don't put Mary away because what is in her is of the Holy Ghost. Hallelujah. But because of this power, and this influence that a woman has, she's also under a lot of pressure and a lot of attacks from the enemy. The Bible says when God came to curse the serpent, he said among other things that I will put enmity between you and the woman. Adam was not told that. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed, serpent seed and woman's seed, they'll clash. And it wasn't a punishment for the woman. It was a punishment for the serpent. Wow. said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman. And between her seed and your seed. And you shall bruise her heel. But her seed will bruise your head. So Satan knows. Before you even came into this earth. Or came on this planet as a woman. He knew that the dangerous thing about you. Is the enmity between you and him. And then secondly, the enmity between the seed, your seed, and the serpent's seed. But many times, we don't recognize it. We say, oh, it's a hassle. It's not easy, you know? You fall in love. The person lies to you immeasurably. When you are seeing the truth, you say it's not the truth. My brothers used to say, as for women, they love lies. They don't like the truth. When you tell them lies, they receive it fully. But may we be delivered from that. And because we have troubled relationships, and because we were also made from the side of man, not directly from dust, we are high tech. I didn't say it, the Bible said it. The Bible says, dwell with them according to knowledge. So to dwell with us, you have to go to school. 
hallelujah. You've got to study us. We are not just easy. You just see that you know. You just know. And many men are refusing to dwell with us according to knowledge. You are not enrolling in the school that you should enroll in. Hallelujah. The Bible said it that woman was taken from the side of man. And the Bible said, but God took dust from the earth and formed man. I didn't say it. And I believe that that is why, you know, we are blessed to be emotional. But when it goes overboard, then it becomes a liability. <laughs> it's supposed to be an asset, but it becomes a liability. Because now Jesus does not become Lord. Our emotions become Lord. I feel like this. I feel like this. I feel like, you know, buttons. Buttons being pressed anywhere. But this morning, the Lord is going to deliver us. Hallelujah. Enmity between the woman and the serpent. And the Bible says it will bruise your heel. So when we are trying to progress, to get into God more, to know him better, then something bites our heel. And we begin to stagger. Sometimes it's Peter. Sometimes it's James. Sometimes it's the, the devil is using them to bruise our heel. And it impedes our progress in our walk with God. But when we identify the enemy and we turn around, we don't bruise his belly or his tail, but his head. His head. We wear so many hats. And the Bible said that God came and told us that in sorrow we shall give birth. In sorrow we shall give birth. And our desire shall be unto our husband. Let a woman have a PhD. Let her have everything in the world. When you meet her at counseling, all is not well. Why? Please pray for me. I need a husband. She has everything. But she doesn't feel complete unless she has a man in her life. Huh? And the Bible says her desire shall be to her. That is why a woman can have a PhD, be a professional. But when she meets a man that she wants to marry, she has to put it all down and say, I've come, I've come, I've come. You know? I have some mates in the States. I have some I have some mates in the states well accomplished lawyers doctors well accomplished but when they finished school they got married some of them may be two doctors that husband says I'm going to America to specialize and to work and she has to go and then when she goes they've just got married they start to make babies so the husband looks at her and says one of us We'll have to stay home. And often, we are the ones who stay home. So one of my friends was telling her, ch her child, you know, mommy is a doctor. <laughs> mommy, if you like, even say nurse. Doctor, you are not a doctor. Why? Because he has seen just vomiting, changing of diapers. He cannot even comprehend that his mother can be a professional. He does not believe it. So when the Bible says your desire shall beat for your husband, this is the desire. And on your wedding day, you just give it to him like this. And then he does as he pleases with it. And he shall rule over you. That is why 
when he misbehaves a little, all your office work, you can't do it. Oh, mercy. You can't do anything. Meanwhile, he's whistling. He, he's, his life is compartmentalized. So this is just a department. But for you, it's the whole of life. Your desire shall be unto your husband. And he will rule over you. Amen. And you know, under the new covenant, God came and said, instead of your husband ruling over you, wives, Submit yourselves. So now it's not you being ruled over, but you willingly and willfully submitting yourself. It's more dignified and it works better in that way. Hallelujah. And God said, instead of your husband ruling over you, he should love you as Christ loved the church. I think that a woman's job is very easy just to submit, but you love me. Huh? As Christ loved the church and gave himself. You have been giving yourself in portions. Christ gave his all. And Christ loved me even when I didn't deserve it. Husbands, love your wives. Not boyfriends, but husbands. Because living with a woman is different from beloved. Let me drop you. Let me this. Let me. Marriage, we are all there. Amen. And I think that many times when you are dating and all that, it's not that you hide so many things, but so many things don't come into play. You know, you don't, you don't discuss financial things. So what will we use the money for this man? It doesn't come. You have my money, I have my money. If I want to bless you, I bless you and then we move on. You know, whether you like the house, you don't like this, it doesn't come in. Whether when you bath, you put water all over, that's in your home. And it stays there. But as soon as we marry, you bring your wet towel and you put it anywhere, anywhere you like. And that becomes a different story. So it's not very easy to always love your wife. But the Bible said husbands, not boys, not males, not boyfriends, but husbands. Love your wives, not your secretaries. But your wives. Amen. As Christ loved the church. And gave himself for it. That he might wash it. With the washing of the water by the word. That he may present it to himself. Gentlemen, ladies are like computers. What you put in is what you get out. Garbage in is garbage out. Hallelujah. So he's saying that when you wash the woman with the water of the word, you present her to yourself. You are doing yourself a favor. When you love your wife, you are doing yourself, you are presenting it back to yourself. A glorious church without spots and wrinkles. We are not supposed to have any pimples. Husband induced pimples and spots and wrinkles. It's not supposed to be that way. Amen, ladies. <laughs> But we come up with so many frustrations. You know, we're cursed. Our desire shall be unto our husband. We'll have sorrow in childbirth. Then we have gone to add Adam's curse to, to our own. God said to Adam, by the sweat of your face, you will eat bread. 
And you and I, we have gone to also look for jobs just like Adam. And by the sweat of our faces, it's not easy for us. Now, at the same time, we are mothers. We are wives. We are professionals. We are called by God. We have to make friends with our own. We have to network as women. So many things. We wear so many hats. How do we juggle it all? And because of all the frustrations and the attacks of the enemy, our seed is not able to come forth. I'm not talking only about natural seed. I'm talking about any investment and deposit that God has made in you and I. That has to come forth and be a blessing to many. But we are not able to come to that place where we release our seed. Because our seed is even aborted before it can even come forth. And Satan is always after our seed. Turn your Bibles to Exodus. Amen. Chapter 1, verse 15. You know how to get Mary Kay products? Know where the Bible, the books of the Bible are. Because when tragedy comes knocking at your door, it is the word of God that will help you. Not makeup, not the latest clothes, but the word of God. Exodus chapter 1 verse 15. Then the king of Egypt spoke to the Hebrew midwives, one of whom was named Shipra and the other was named Pua. And he said, when you are helping the Hebrew women to give birth and see them upon the birth stool, if it is a son, then you shall put him to death. But if it is a daughter, then she shall live. But the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt had commanded them, but let the boys live. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, this is the seed of a woman called Jochebed. And at the time she gives birth, the book of Acts 7 says that there was intense pressure. And a lot of, you know, the king had said that every male child must be killed. And when the time of promise drew near, then the people multiplied. That's what the Bible says. So when the time of your promise is drawing near, the precious multiply. Amen. So it wasn't just that the Israelites were just multiplying, but God said, the time of a promise is now, so I need to create an enabling environment. And that is that the people should also multiply, and the problem should come. And so Jochebed had a child at a time when it wasn't conducive to give birth to a seed at that time. And I believe that these are all attacks of the enemy. Because he knew that Moses was coming to be a deliverer to God's people. And he knew that Moses was going to lead them out to the promised land according to God's prophecy that he had given. And so he decided that, let me through Herod kill all male children before they get to that place. So every woman's seed is at enmity with the seed of a serpent. And the serpent is after us so that we will never give birth, give expression to the things that God has invested in us. Oftentimes, God makes a heavy spiritual investment in women, but we may use low self-esteem, or we don't think much of ourselves. So, when people are called, not me. When people are preaching, not me. 
How can God use a vessel? In fact, as soon as you appear on this planet, Satan begins to work on your case so that your testimony will be some way. And all the great women preachers, even in America, were molested, most of them. Joyce Meyer from the age of five to the age of 17, sexually molested by her father, repeatedly. Paula White, the same. Juanita Bynum, the same. But it does not stop God's plan from coming to pass. But when God is trying to get you born again, get you to know him, Satan uses other things. Because he knows your destiny. No, don't go there. Come this way. Don't solve your problem this way. Go this way. And we just follow. Because we don't know that we are any targets. We don't know that there's any master plan. We just feel that it's just this plan. But there's a master plan. And he uses that to disqualify them and to tell them, hey, with such a background, do you think God will use you? The Bible says about Mary Magdalene that seven demons had been cast out of her. You know, and even sometimes society is so stereotyped so that the woman who was caught in adultery, she was brought alone. Meanwhile, it takes two to tango. Where was the man? But they brought the woman and said, we caught her alive. Huh? In the very act, they told Jesus. And Jesus said, he who is without sin. They were about to stone her. But the man had continued with his life, gone on, and was doing whatever he wanted to do. He had not been brought into judgment under the law. And oftentimes, condemnation and judgment are used against you and I. So that we feel so condemned that we can't rise up. You look at it. They say, I'm this, I'm that, I'm that. I think it's true. And you get so broken. You are not able to rise up. But the Bible says, there's therefore now no condemnation. To them that are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Because you have a test, you will have a testimony. Because you have a mess, you have a message. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. But we look at all these and say, oh no. God cannot use a vessel like this. It cannot be. When you look at Jesus' life, the Bible says that when the wise men were coming to worship him, they saw a star, and they passed through the palace of Herod. And Herod called all his wise men and said, tell me about this boy that they said has been born somewhere. And the wise men looked and said, oh yes, He's supposed to be a king of the Jews. He will save his people. Oh, is that his destiny? Then all male children must be killed. The seed of a woman under pressure again. Every male child from the age of two downwards must be slaughtered. And then God sends an angel to tell Joseph, after the visit of the wise men, take the mother and the child and flee to Egypt. Because Herod will seek the life of the child. And it's not just the child, but because the mother is the one who nurtures the child and keeps the seed alive, the mother will also have to be attacked so that the child will not become what it has to be. I will put enmity between your seed and his seed. But God does not leave us without help. And God does not leave us defenseless. But God goes ahead of us. His word says, thou preparest a table before me. 
When you prepare something, it is before whatever happens. Amen. So he prepares a table before us, even in the presence of our enemies. So when Joseph takes the child and flees, the slaughter begins. And the Bible says, I heard Rachel wailing because of her children who are not. All those baby boys were slaughtered so that that seed will not come forth. But if we will persist, God will do his part in preserving us and the seed. Hallelujah. But often, when we see the intimidation, blood being shed, a whole government against you, how can you stand? We look at it, we are intimidated. We say, you know what? Let me leave the baby Jesus here so that I'll have less pressure. Let me leave the things of God and concentrate on this, my marriage that's not working. No, sister, you are making a, a mistake. Bible says, seek first the kingdom and its righteousness. And other things that you have not asked for, they will be added unto you. Some of you, we are lucky that you came to church today. Because often on Sundays you are with your boyfriend, you won't be here. And when you see the pastor, you tell him, you say in your head, you are lucky to see me today. It is only when it doesn't work. Then you say, oh, Jesus, my best friend. God uses affliction to beat us into his will. Hallelujah. The seed of a woman. And I will put enmity between you and the serpent. And between your seed and his seed. Finally, let's turn our Bibles to Revelations chapter 12. Revelations chapter 12. Kobala Mashande. Are we there? Read it from verse 1. And a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of twelve stars. And she was with child, and she cried out, being in labor and in pain, to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven, and behold, a great red dragon, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his head were seven diadems, and his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. And she gave birth to a son, a male child, who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness, where she had a place prepared by God, so that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. And there was war in heaven, Michael and his angels waging war with the dragon. And the dragon and his angels waged war. And they were not strong enough. And there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. And the dragon was thrown down. The serpent of old, who is called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth, and his angels were thrown down with him. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, 
Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down, who accuses them before God day and night. Hallelujah. The Bible says a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun. <laughs> and the moon was under her feet. And her head had a crown of 12 stars. She was not an easy woman. She was a woman with a crown, 12 stars. And then she had the sun as her clothing. And the moon was under her feet. She was a powerful thing that God had made. Amen. And she was with child, or if you like, she had a seed. She had a destiny. She had some investment that God had made in her. She had a future. She had something of promise in her. And she was with child. And she cried out being in labor and in pain to give birth. Do you know that oftentimes when the pressure increases the most, that is when you are just about to give birth? When you go into labor, you know, they have first stage, second stage, third stage. It's not when the contractions begin. When the contractions begin, they are far apart, maybe hourly. Then it comes to half hourly. But when the contractions increase, the pain is more. And the interval between them is shorter. And that means that you are just about to bring forth something. And it is at that time that the obstetricians tell you, push, push with all your might. This is the stake. They don't tell you to push before. They say, when it's time to push, we will tell you. And usually the time at which they tell you to push is the time of the most intense pressure. Ladies, when you are under the most intense pressure, that is when God is about to give birth to something special in your life. But at the time when you have to push, you can't just lie back and say, I'm tired. I can't. I won't. You need all the encouragement and all the instruction to push. And so this woman, she was in labor and she was experiencing birth pains to give birth. And the Bible says that before the seed could come out, the red dragon was standing there to devour her seed. Because Satan knows that if your seed lives, lives on, it will become a Moses. It will become a deliverer. It will save entire generations. Whatever God has invested in you must not come forth. Because it's not just the child. But it has many, many implications for the kingdom of the devil. Hallelujah. Well... It was a great red dragon. You see, the opposition and the satanic things against us look great. Great. Red. Red is something that you can notice all the time. I used to always buy red suitcases so that when they are on the belt, I can spot them easily. <laughs> Amen. A great red dragon. Hmm. Having seven heads. And ten horses on his head. Ten horns, sorry. And on his head were seven diadems. You see, Satan always looks very frightening and very intimidating. And so when you are just about to give birth and you see such a creature, yeah, yeah, yeah. you see such a picture, the baby will return. Yeah, yeah. 
Because they say a great red dragon with seven heads. The woman had one head, but with 12 stars. But this one, seven heads. And then the seven heads, ten horns. Fearful. And fear is something Satan uses. Especially against women. So that you will never give expression to what God has called you to. Fear. Fear of the future. You get so obsessed with fear of the future that you don't move on in anything with God. Fear of what will happen to your marriage. Fear of childlessness. Will I have a child? If I don't have a child, what will happen? Fear of not getting married. If I don't get married, what will happen? And now fears lead us instead of God. Fear is the enemy of faith. And the Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power, of love, and of a sound mind. And these are the things that we find difficult to walk in. Power, we feel powerless. Love, we have major beasts amongst us. Sound mind, we can't think straight. We are always worried and anxious about something. Because these are the three components of fear. When fear gives birth, these are the things in them. Hallelujah. Power, love, sound mind is the opposite of fear. And Satan knows that when he uses fear, you see, as I'm going to give expression to this seed, as I'm going to be all that God has called me to do, what will I lose? How will it be? Will it work out? Will everything be okay? And out of fear and intimidation, you don't give birth. So the red dragon is standing there like that. I dare you to give birth. I dare you to give birth. May every one of us be delivered from fear. Hallelujah. Because fear is a spirit. It's not a feeling. It's not a cement. It's not just a thought. The Bible says God has not given us the spirit of fear. Fear is a spirit. We must call a spade a spade, not an agricultural implement. Because there are many agricultural implements. Huh? Watering can is an agricultural implement. Garden fork is an agricultural Call a spade a spade. Amen. And his tail swept away a third of the stars of heaven. Satan will show you how powerful he is. He says, oh, even heaven, I just have to do this and my tail knocks down things in heaven. That's why when the sons of God appeared before God, Satan also came. And God said, where have you been from walking to and fro? You see, when you walk to and fro through churches, through ta- you are visionless, just like Satan. Amen. So you have to be stable and stop walking to and fro. Amen. amen. I didn't get an amen for that. Yeah. Hmm. He still swept away a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. Hey! And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth. So that when she gave birth, he might devour her child. Satan's vision was clear. He was single-minded without distraction that I want to devour the child, the seed of the woman. That is from the Bible, from the Garden of Eden. That was what I was cursed with. You know, but Satan is actually afraid of you. But he makes himself fearful so that we will be afraid of him. Fear is a thing he uses. But in spite of that, in verse 5, the woman gave birth. 
In spite of anything, your seed will come forth. Hallelujah. And she gave birth to a son. Remember in the Bible times, a son was the one allowed to rule. A son was the one allowed to inherit from the father. So she gave birth to a son, which is a prototype of the Christ. A male child who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and to his throne. And the woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God. If she had been afraid of giving birth because of the presence of the devil, her son would never have been taken to heaven to come down again and die for you and I. But she gave birth all the same. And so what's going to become of the seed? What's going to become? When we get to that bridge, we'll cross it. When we get to that bridge, God will take care of it. Hallelujah. And so she gave birth all the same. And the Bible says God took up the child and took her to, the, to heaven. And the woman fled into the wilderness. In our walk with God, we will have wilderness experiences. Show me any great man or woman of God that God calls who doesn't have a wilderness experience. Abraham, he walked. The Bible says he went not knowing where he was going. When he got to the land of Canaan, the Bible says there were Canaanites in the land. The land that you, God, you said you would give me is already occupied. Often, God's word looks contrary to what he's saying. Moses was also called to the backside of the desert, the wilderness. And you wonder if it's really the God who spoke that he will make you a ruler and a judge over his people. You look at the future, you say, are these human beings? He said, I'll be ruler and judge over his people. But for 40 years, he keeps you in the wilderness. Because the wilderness is a place of preparation. Hallelujah. Amen. And when you look at Joseph, he goes to a place where there's no life. He knows nobody. Nothing seems to thrive. Nothing seems to be happening. But God uses all that. Jesus, the son of God, the Bible says that he was led into the wilderness by the Holy Ghost. Not by demons. The Holy Ghost leads you to a place where you don't see life. To a place where you don't see anything like the dream that God gave you. I tell you, like Joseph, you come to a place where your reality does not match your dream. Because God said that your, your brothers and all, your father and all, will come and bow down before you. Because you are in Potiphar's house. And they are in Canaan. Egypt and Canaan. They don't come together. And you don't even know. And then, as if it's not enough, you find yourself in prison. When will you come out before your father and all these things will come and bow before you? We cannot comprehend it. But Almighty God knows the plans. He has the blueprint. He says, I know the plans I have for you. I know it. You don't know it. I know it. I know the plans I have for you. Plans of prosperity and not of disaster. Why should he tell us that? Because often we think it's disaster. And often we don't think he cares and he will give us any good plan. So he has to tell you plans of good or not, and not of evil. Why should God tell you that? Because your mind is skewed. Plans of good and not of evil to bring you to the expected end. Not for you to walk there, but he will bring you. He will bring you. When you are in the wilderness, everything in you dies. You stop thinking. You see, when Moses was around, he thought that if I kill a few Egyptians, I would have accomplished the vision God has. It's not by might. 
But now when God was going, go back to you, I'm afraid. I can't speak. It won't work. God wants you to come to the end of yourself so that he can lift you up. In my own work with the Lord, I've had wilderness experiences. I have had places where I can't see. Can he hear? When I pray, does he hear? Is he going to do anything? You know, I don't know how much time we have, but when I first came into full-time ministry, I was very excited. Full-time ministry, you know, God was really going to, God had given me a lot of promises and things were going to work. And then I asked my husband, so what's my posting as full-time minister? Because I really wanted to pastor people, preach, have, you know, small Bible study groups, spiritual things. My husband told me, you have been posted to the nursery school. I said, oh, but nursery school is not a spiritual thing. <laughs> I want spiritual things to do, not secular things, you know. So I said to him, okay, I'll do the nursery school work. And the nursery school at that time, I had just started it. Nobody knew the school. So I by force conscripted my daughter into it as the first pupil, put a uniform on her so that when you come, there's somebody in the school. And I was coming from a very quiet environment where you have a structured office, you have secretaries. I mean, things make sense. And every time going to work, I'll pass through the school and do my best and then continue. But this time, I was going to be placed there full time. When you wear a white skirt, the children come with their runny noses. What? Oh, you know, and I had been looking good to go to court. Do you understand? You wear your jacket you, now. And you wear your skirts, whether they've eaten what? Hey, they just... A lot of noise. No office in that place. Even to make notes or whatever I want to do. No office. So, ah, but what is this full-time ministry? I put a table in a corridor. People just walk. So I went back to my husband. I said, look, I need to do something spiritual to feel connected to the church. Because the school is somewhere. I feel so far away. So, uh, okay, so like what? So, like teaching in the Bible school. I want to impart something. I believe I have something in me to give. Uh, okay. Then go and see the principal. Said, ah, how can I see the principal? Are you not the head of the church? Uh, no, no, no. They have drawn up schedules. I think so. Go and see the principal. And this principal, when I joined the church, she was nowhere. But this principal was now coming to determine where I would be. So I phoned the principal. I'm supposed to see you for which subject. And I told my husband, you know, I want to teach something spiritual. Ah, uh, yes, we've drawn up the schedule. This is a, so we have your subjects here. So I said, what are the subjects? Church history and English language. <laughs> I wept buckets. And every time I went to the place to lecture, you know, people would have offices. And even somewhere to just sit and mark my scripts. I didn't have anywhere. And when I came out, I told my husband, I need an office to what? But use the school. I said, the school. The children are all over the table. I cannot. So when I go, I have to ask this new principal that, can I please use your chair? At a point, I said, no. I have to go back to where I'm respected and wanted. Do you understand? So I went in prayer to God. I said, God, I came because of you. But now... The manifestations, I don't believe them. So help me. I started to see God's face. 
And it was then God gave me this message about the wilderness. He started to ask me, have you seen anybody I've called who has not been through the world? I said, really? Wilderness? He said, yes, look at Abraham. Look at Joseph. Look at Moses. Look at Jesus, my son. The wilderness is where you don't see anything growing. Where you don't see anything that matches your, your vision. Your reality does not matter. That is the place. He said, do you believe that I've called you? I said, God, I believe. He said, so now why are you thinking of checking out? Are you your own, madam? Said, no. Jesus is Lord. If I'm Lord, then allow me to take you through the seasons. I tell you, I became very sober. So now when I go English language, I just take my syllabus. Okay. Today, we are going to learn about grammar, um, tenses. So this, that, that. I just do my part and then I leave. You know, and I kept telling God, give me the right heart and the right attitude. Help me, even if it takes 40 years to be with a few sheep. If you have called me, you will be faithful. Yeah. Hallelujah. Yeah. And I thank God for the grace not to have picked a quarrel with my husband, face him. Yeah. I just thought, you know, my life is bigger than this man. It's God who is at work. It's not the man's hand. It's a bigger hand. And that's why I just kept on with the primary school. It started to grow. And then my husband said to me, oh, but your women's ministry, you know, you must grow it. You must get involved. And it opened many other doors. And today I stand here to preach to you. That English teacher and that history teacher, church history teacher, but all that made me ask myself why I came into full-time ministry. And it made me ask myself if I believed that God had called me. So then we went for a pastor's camp some years after, about two years after. And then my husband is full-time pastor's camp. He's addressing the full-time. And he said, you know, you have to have a personal conviction of your own if you want to obey God's call. Because so many things will come to upset that call. Yes, I think somebody who can share greatly on that is my wife. Please clap for my wife. She will come and share with you what the personal conviction you need. I couldn't believe it. So I came and I said, it wasn't easy. The way they treated me. And Bishop Saki said, forgive us, please. Elaborate on the more important point and leave that... <laughs> But now I know what to teach people who say that God has called them. And I know how to walk people through the preliminary stages. It was just to make me a better pastor and a better shepherd. Because if I just started at the top there, I'm the bishop's wife. You know, everything I want should be my way. When somebody complains, I'll say, what's your problem? But because I have been there myself, our high priest who has walked that road, you are able to walk other people through that road. The woman was taken to the wilderness. And where God had prepared a place for her, that she must stay there for 1,260 days. God knew that you would flee to the wilderness, but he knew that you would survive there because he would take care of you. He has prepared a table, even in the wilderness. As for God, circumstances, environment, don't limit him. The only thing is, you should not abort your seed. You should not let worldly things abort your seed. You should not let offense abort your seed. You know, offense has a way of just crippling you. And you will never become what God. If I had looked at my being posted here, posted, I would have been offended. 
and I could easily have developed a bitter spirit. You will always have the opportunity to be offended, but you've got to rise up above that. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. And if God were to count your offense, where would you stand? You know, I was praying the Lord's prayer. I said, forgive us our sins as we forgive them. I said, hmm, this prayer is some way. Just last week. It means that in the same measure and manner and style in which we forgive other people, forgive us in that same way. So when you forgive someone, you say, I've forgiven her, but I don't have anything to do with her. So when you come and pray, God says, oh, I've forgiven you too, but I won't have anything to do with you. I've forgiven you too, but I'm preserving myself because you hurt me too much. Every time we set out, you hurt me too much. So as you are, your style of forgiveness, you are saying, forgive me in the same style and mode in which I forgive others. Mercy. Mercy. She fled to the wilderness where God had prepared a place for her. Daughter, your seed is important. It's needed. It's needed by creation. It's needed in the plan of God. It's needed in his future. God wants to do something. Don't just be enmeshed with your marriage, your children, your life. There's a greater vision than that. Lift up your eyes and let not your seed be aborted because of circumstances. Rise up and be all that God wants you to be. Don't say, oh, the men are the leaders. The men have taken the, the places. No, there's a place for every one of us. And every one of us is called to something. You've just been coming to church, going, coming to church. It's time to give expression to that seed that God has put in you. May your seed come forth. May fear not abort God's seed in your life. But may his plan be fulfilled. Because you gave birth to that seed. God bless you. Please stand to your feet. I want you to pray. I want you to surrender your life all over again to God. And say, not my will, but yours be done. I've done it my own way. I've solved my problems my own way. I've led my life my own way. I've made my own choices. But now I want to choose your way. The Bible says, there's a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end of that way is death. With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you to speak to God. All to Jesus I surrender. Yes. Yes. Oh, speak to him. And say, Lord, even sometimes when I look in myself, I don't see any seed. I don't think there's anything that you can use. Open my eyes that I may see.
know Jesus as your personal savior, you want to say, Lady Pastor, pray for me. I've done things my own way. I'm not as committed as I should be. I want to start all over with Jesus. I want to start all over again with God. I'm not sure whether I'll go to heaven or hell when I die. Lady Pastor, pray for me. I want to be sure. You are here like that this morning. I want you to take a bold step of faith and not walk in fear. And I want you to come to me in the front and I will pray with you. You are here like that. I want you to lift up your hands. You lift up your hands as a lady pastor, pray for me. I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be mean business with God. I want to be serious now with God. Lady pastor, pray for me. I want to be sure whether I'm going to heaven or hell when I die. If you are here like that, lift up your hand and I'll pray with you. Oh yes, come to Jesus, the life giver, the one who never disappoints, the one who prepares us even before any trial or challenge. He is that God. You are here, you have lifted up your hands. I want you to take a bold step, but come in front so that I can pray with you. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. He's the one who really matters. Come to Jesus. You put up your hand. I want you to walk forward so that I can pray with you. Oh, yes. Come to Jesus, the fountain of living life. The life giver. Come to Jesus. Oh. Oh, we are waiting for you. You need to give your life to Christ. You need to mean business with God. You need to set the record straight. We are waiting for you in front. Come and give your life to Jesus Christ. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Yes. Jesus saves. Jesus saves. Father, I pray for your people. I pray, oh God, against the spirit of fear and intimidation. I come against every wall of the enemy. I pull down every stronghold of the enemy in our lives. I pray that we will not be paralyzed and crippled by the spirit of fear. I release your people to be all that you have called them to be, oh God. I pray in the name of Jesus that your plans concerning us will come to pass. I pray that the wilderness will not abort your call. Hardships will not abort your call. Pressure will not abort your call. I pray that we will not be distracted in any way, but we shall be focused. I pray for grace to obey, grace to follow, grace to yield, and grace to bring forth our seed in due season. In Jesus' name, amen. It was great having you today. To find out more about the resources available by Adelaide Heward Mills, please visit at the Kodesh, North Kaneshi, or meet her on Facebook at Adelaide Heward Mills. For prayer and counseling, please call 0243-187-900. You can also drop us an email at honeyonmylips at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you. Until next time, God richly bless you.